And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with Danielle Brown, who is the CMO of Points. Danielle is at the helm of the global loyalty commerce provider. She is uh, heading up their entire marketing strategy. She's responsible for driving growth through data science and analytics. She also leads business operation functions, including product delivery, support services, while ensuring overall customer and partner satisfaction and making sure that that remains a top priority. She has 20 years of experience on loyalty platforms, entertainment, wireless retail and tech. That's a huge range of industries. Um, she's navigated and built marketing, team, uh, built marketing teams from growth stage startups to international markets um, with incredible, uh, incredible growth, incredible revenue. Um, now that's obviously... The, the formal, that's the formal description in your career, but I want to hear it from you. Talk to me about your career, how you came to become CMO of Points. I was looking at your LinkedIn, a lot of really, really impressive wins. So, so yeah, let's break it down. Thank you, Scott. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, um, it is kind of funny when I when I hear that back. A, the 20 years kind of made me breathe a little bit heavy because I'm like, <laughs> shit, that's a really long time, and that made me feel old. Um, but yeah, it it was a, it was I guess a circuitous route, right? I think I've always been a bit of a I don't know I guess a bit of a hustler. I've always been working I, like babysitting. I think I had my first real job at McDonald's at like 11 or 12, and I lied about my age to get my job and I was always one of those like super busy kids and I managed like my friends rock bands when I was 15 and at like 19 I left Montreal I moved to Toronto I'm like I'm gonna go to theater school I lasted a year and I felt like it was a waste of time and then I continued acting but then I was like I'm gonna get a degree in criminology and then I got bored of that and I actually didn't finish that degree I've actually never finished school I do not have a degree um, and one of the, th one of the ways that I kind of managed to, to get to where I am is that, um, I worked a whole bunch of jobs and one of those jobs was working, uh, at HMV while I was at school. For those of you who aren't familiar, record store, um, and when I had the opportunity to go full time is when I quit school and I was like, no, no, I think I can weirdly turn this into something. And so I learned how the cash office worked. I was the shipper receiver. And then I, that's where I got my first marketing job. And I remember just that was my first salary job. And I was marketing for like the flagship store. And it was like, I, I made no money, but it was like a salary and I was so proud, right? And 
that was the beginning of marketing. And I kind of worked at HMV for a while. And then I had this like opportunity, someone at Universal Music Canada called and said, hey, there's a sick leave. And um, you, we can bring you on. You might be here for two weeks. You might be here for two months. And I was like, I will quit my job. I will take it. And I will make sure they do not get rid of me. And I stayed there for six years, right? And so what I did there was I started off in sales and then I moved to artist marketing and I was the artist marketer for um, Interscope Records for Canada uh, for the last three years there. But like at a certain point, I was just like, okay, I don't know if I can do this forever. Like this is, I'm not going to be cool forever. I'm going to get old and I'm going to age out. Um, like high praise. I really thought I was cool at the time. Obviously, <laughs> But then I was like, okay, let me start exploring my options. And it was the time of Napster and the business was changing. And I was just like, okay, I need to start seeing what else is up there. And every recruiter that I went to was like, you don't know how to do anything but music. I can't hire you. I can't place you. No one will hire you. And I was like, shit, I am stuck, right? What do I do? What is my next move? And so I thought, okay, the next move has got to be, I know music, people will trust me with that. And I found a job running music content for a telco startup called Amp Mobile. And we lasted for about eight to nine months in Canada. And then we went under and it was an awesome first startup experience. And it was a necessary step for me to get further away from music. But then I was like, what on earth am I going to do now? And then one of my colleagues at the time was running a conversion for XM Canada. So before the Sirius XM uh, merger, and he was one of the smartest people uh, one of the smartest people I knew, he was one of my colleagues at, at Ant Mobile and he had, he had gone there. And I was just like, if I could learn everything that is in this guy's head, um, I've got the art of marketing, he's got the science, I, then I will be in a great spot. And so I took this job as an account manager for General Motors and was just like, I will learn everything that you can teach me. And um, I learned about analytics. I learned about um, forecasting. I learned the whole financial aspect of the business. And that was really foundational to me was to have someone who believed in me and believed I was smart and be able to like, and could adapt and learn new things. So that when my time at SiriusXM was up six years later, I was recruited as a VP of marketing at points. And it was my job to build their analytics team. And to look at their marketing team that was a cost center and say, I think I can turn this into a profit center. And we did some awesome work for three years. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I need a startup experience again. And then I went and I left there. And I thought at this point, I was like, I need to get to the C-level table. And I'm stuck at VP at points and I need to get out and, and try to find that next opportunity for myself. And so I went to um, a B2B retail marketplace uh, called Hubba, where I was their first CMO, and then left there and went to um, a direct-to-consumer business uh, called Nix, where I was their CMO, and uh, then got recruited back to Points. And I've been there as CMO, and I've been there for, uh, for about a year and a bit. So it's been this really long, meandering journey, um, but purposeful in the way that I knew what skills I needed to go acquire to get to the next level. And that was what was guided my decision-making, I think. That's a very interesting story. And there's a lot of different points that I'd actually want to touch on, but I think the one that I just, the one thing that stood out to me was you were, um, you, you almost accidentally got into marketing, but then you were purposefully successful at it. Um, 
I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but it seems like that's sort of like the career progression from HMV and, and then you saw the opportunities, you just sort of like tackled them, tackled them, tackled them. Um, at what point did you know that you wanted to double down on marketing? And the reason why I ask that is because a lot of people that listen to this are also in sales. And I yeah. think that actually, funny enough, your career progression where you accidentally get into something and then you're purposefully successful at it is actually very, um, very much in line with what a lot of sales individuals do because a lot, I think there's more, there probably was more infrastructure to support a marketer than yeah. sales, and I think there still is. So for people that sort of are trying to figure out what they're doing, and they're at that point, and like my background is very similar to, to yours, but I was down the sales route where I just got into sales and sort of kept going, kept going, kept going. Um, how did you know at the point when you, this is something that you wanted to do for your career and that you started to double down on it? And this is something that you wanted to sort of continue to learn and find mentors and continue to advance in your career. What was that point? You know, I, th I think it was while I was working at HMV, not in marketing previously. And then, and to be honest, the thing that attracted me to it was I was like, well, this sounds cool, right? These people do cool things. Let me just try. I'm going to try to write a marketing plan and see what happens. And that first job, I, I, I was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to be really open about what I know and what I don't know and what I know how to do. And I just discovered that I was good at it. I think I was fearless in the opportunities that I brought forward. And I've always approached my career knowing that it would be okay to fail because I could pick myself up again and try something new or try the same thing differently. And I think operating with that mindset of saying, I'm going to say yes to every opportunity um, and just see where it gets me allowed me to find the thing I was good at because I didn't have that traditional schooling where I could explore right. and figure that out. And so it really was a recognition of, I have the aptitude for this. So now I'm going to double down and I'm going to try to chart a path that's just going to be, make me smarter at this thing that I think I can be good at. Do you think, do you think not having the formal education that actually gave you an advantage? I do. I do. Um, and I don't know if it's just personal because of the way I learned. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you ask it that way, because at the time, while I was trying to build my career, after a few jobs in, like at some point at Universal, I was like, idiot, why didn't you finish school? Right? Like, why did you not finish school? Because every time you go for a job, someone is asking you if you had your degree. But the thing that it freed me to do is to not take a textbook approach. And it allowed me to say, I don't know if I'm supposed to do it this way, but let me explore and let me innovate and let me see if it works this way. I filled in a lot of the knowledge after. But yeah, I, I think for, for the way I operate, um, it was a hugely freeing experience to not have a map. I'm, I'm starting to, as you tell your story, um, I'm starting to understand why you're successful and why you've been successful in so many different industries. Like, you know, when, when we first introduced you, it was like loyalty, entertainment, wireless, retail, tech. Like, you're right. That's a lot of different industries. And just to be able to be successful in all of those, it sort of speaks to your you as a professional, as a person. Um, I'm just wondering if that's, you know, you. I think you had the benefit of not having the formal education, which forced you as like a high performing individual to take those things on and be successful. I'm just wondering if that's something that can be, uh, I guess, learned if somebody was in a formal education setting and they were spoon fed stuff and it did come easy to start. How do you become that adaptable and how do you, how do you shift your, your thinking so that failure is okay? 
because it's going to go to another point, you know, how did you, how did you deal with and navigate the pandemic environment with points and, and travel, but I'm sure all of your success and the way that you've had to navigate has led to you being extremely effective at navigating just another significantly large event, but still something that, you know, a lot of people that have done things a certain way for so long may be a little bit um, uh, less capable of, of figuring out. Look, I, I think the first part of your question is interesting, and I think it all has to do with approach, right? Um, I, mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to my uh, my early acting days, right? And one of the most valuable lessons that I ever, ever learned was in improv class. I don't know if you've ever taken an improv class. Um, I, I took grade 12 drama. There you <laughs> <So> go. <laughs> wasn't that so, good at it, but yeah, I was nervous. I was always but nervous. But it's the principle. You learn yeah. this thing in improv, right? And the thing you learn is the phrase, yes, and. So I'll give you an example. I'm doing a little improv scene and I'm, I'm like cooking dinner in the kitchen. And you're always going to have the next person who comes into the improv scene who decides they're going to be clever and just throw a wrench in everything and say, hey, I'm an alien from outer space or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck would you be doing in my kitchen? Then? <laughs> but whatever. What you can't do in improv is say, then what the hell are you doing in my kitchen? What you have to do in improv is accept the suggestion and go, how am I going to build on it? And bizarrely, that's been foundational in how I've built my career. That whole rule of the yes and is I can always build on anything. Um, so if I don't know something, I can figure it out. If something comes in to change my direction or shift my focus, that's great. I'll accept it and figure out how to adapt it and integrate it into the path that I have to take. So I think that that part is foundational, right? And I think if you do have a more formal education, I think that's great. I think that's, I think having a really a team with diverse backgrounds and defer, diverse ways of learning builds a really great team. Uh, if you if you're looking to be adaptable, the 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 main thing though is is adding that adaptability. So if mm -hmm. you can with that formal training, then say, and I also know that things are going to happen that are unexpected, and I can I can apply that rule of the yes and. Um, it allows you to be flexible as well. So I think it's an attitude and an approach thing. I love that. Um, I think that's a very valuable tool that people can, uh, if they can just keep it top of mind, I think that would be very useful. And I think especially, you know, we're talking about career, but like, I'll bring it again back to, to COVID, like your, your circumstance and how you've sort of, and we were speaking about this before, like if you're healthy, if, you know, if you are in a, in a relatively okay financial position, um, you're not having the worst go of it compared to some people that don't have those luxuries, unfortunately. So, you know, if you can say yes and, and, you know, we're right now, we're, we're both in Toronto, we're stuck inside, but there's a lot of things that are, are still progressing in our careers. Um, you know, people are still, you know, advancing. So there's ways to grow. There's always ways to grow and there's always, you know, roll with the punches, so to speak. I, I really, really like that attitude. Um, that's a really, really, really smart attitude to, to sort of internalize. Um, I want to, I want to understand more about, you know, now this is sort of your career progression to points. You really summed it up very nicely and succinctly. I want to understand, I guess with points in particular, um, some leadership lessons that you're, you're working with now. So some, some things that you, you bring to the team, bring to the company. And I'm really just curious because you're working in a, in a, 
point is is loyalty loyalty for travel if i'm i'm not if i'm not mistaken yeah. so obviously there's been some disruption in the company do you want to do you want to walk through because i you know how how have you navigated covid so far and how how has that impacted your role as cmo yeah so it's a few different ways it it has obviously been a challenge to be in a travel related business and what we particularly do is we work with um 60 of the world's largest um, travel loyalty rewards programs. So we don't run the loyalty programs themselves, but what we do is we build and power a network of ways that loyalty program members can get and use their favorite loyalty currency, right? So um, basically, and we've been around since the year 2000 and we're headquartered in Toronto and we operate around the globe. And so what we've been dealt with is what we've been dealing with is our partners who are going, who airlines and hotels who are going through the most significant downturn in travel history. And we've kind of seen it as our jobs to be able to say, okay, people can't fly. Um, they are not staying at hotels as much, in hotels as much, obviously. And so what can we do to help you generate ancillary revenue? So it's been a, uh, it's been a humbling experience to see how much their their business has suffered and how much we can help our partners say, okay, we can still bring in revenue for you by retailing that loyalty currency. And we're seeing some encouraging things, right? We're seeing um, that that loyalty program members are still purchasing currency, which to me is this hopeful view of travel returning um, because they are going to want to spend their loyalty currency um, and they're saving up for trips right now that they can take when things reopen. Um, so our approach has had to be very different because tip, we all our needs-based buyers are all gone. It's people are really buying just for future travel. And that so, so we, we've been dealing on one side with our partners who have uh, staff getting furloughed and have to do so much more with less, and we're trying to support them through that. But then you think about our team internally, and you know, I'm looking at my team. We're we're about uh, 275 um, people in points uh, in total, and my team is about 90 90 of those people. And you know, in in thinking through how everyone was dealing with the pandemic at the beginning. It just, everyone has different living circumstances, right? People have a whole bunch of different salaries. What I might be dealing with is very different than what my customer service representative might be dealing with and the space that they're dealing with. And, and, and as leaders, we have to be really, really cognizant of the stress that this time and this period is putting on our teams. So one of the early decisions that I made um, is looking at my team's happiness. And, and I know that that sounds squishy, but I'm a very firm believer in saying, if my team is happy, they will work harder for me. That sounds really cold and calculated. But if I take care of them, they will take care of the business. And so early on, um, what I decided to do was say, hey, as a team, let's build a happiness model. Because if I can keep you happy, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to make sure that you are comfortable and cared for. And I know I'm going to get good work for you, from you. So I surveyed the team and I said, look, in point form, in prose, however you want to do it, describe your perfect day to me. 
Just tell me what that looks like. I took all of that data and then said, where are the common themes that I'm, that I'm seeing? And basically everything fell into six common buckets. And so I used that to, as a team, kind of crowdsource what we're calling the ABCs of happiness. And what we said is, if you could feel a sense of accomplishment, if you could feel balance so that you have work time and you have think time and you have home time and work time, if you could feel a sense of challenge, so you had these realistic goals, but you but they were goals and a little bit hard to achieve. If you had clarity in what was expected of you, if you had a connection with your peers that went beyond work, and if you felt like you were contributing to the greater good of the company, then you would be a happy employee and you would be a happy team member. And so all of my people managers um, have this and are armed with this information. And when they do their one-on-ones with their with people on their team, they check the happiness index and they're like, how is your happiness score going? Where are we falling short and how can I help you with that? And the powerful thing about that is that it's a model that was built by the team. They told us what was important. And now we have this language and this conversation to be able to follow up on people who might be worried because we're in travel and what's happening to my job and who are seeing the people that they work with day to day getting furloughed or laid off. And mm-hmm. so it gave them a sense of security and power to be able to say, um, my leaders care about me, my company cares about me, and um, I have a language to be able to talk to them with if I am not happy in a certain way. That's a very good framework. And, you know, when we were prepping for this, I didn't even know you were going to bring that up. I'm happy you did, though, because like, regardless of pandemic, I think that's actually extremely important. Um, and I think that I think that that's actually something that I think the the happiness of a team you're right it does sound like very like like uh like you know i i don't know you squishy whatever whatever it's a good word for it but it, it's it's so true it's very true and i think that if you just assume like oh you know my team's are full of they're 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 grown-ups they're adults like they can they can manage and they can take care of themselves like they're gonna it's not gonna be a good situation right so I, yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm struggling. Like, the, I, I'm I'm having a hell of a time. Like I'm right. having a hell of a time. Like seriously, it, like half the reason why I like doing these podcasts now is because this is the only time I can talk to somebody else. Besides, like <laughs> I like I love the people that I'm living with. Don't, don't get me wrong, but you know you you don't you don't have you don't have the coffee. You don't have the conferences. You don't have that anymore. Yeah, you really don't. And, you know, people can put on this face and they can say, like, you know, I'm okay, like, I'm, I'm doing fine. And, and for some people, like, it's tough to let that, let that guard down and be human, especially if they're professionals and they're, you know, maybe they're executives and, they're, and they think they're supposed to be perceived a certain way or whatever, yeah. or, or that people that report to them that are, are not doing okay and they want to be there for those people. Um, but if you normalize it yeah. across the organization... All of a sudden, you realize the people that everybody thought was okay may have not been okay. And then you're starting to to really help people in, in ways that, yeah, you're going to keep them with the company. But in terms of like mental health and well-being, you're probably doing a lot more for them than just keeping them with the company, especially if they're on their own. Right. I, I think that's it. And I think it's I think that's so important, right? That squishy stuff, um, as yeah. squishy it is, as it is, is so important. These are people. These are human beings. If I'm having a tough time, they are having a tough time. And it, it really does translate into if someone is happy, they will stay. 
If someone is happy, they will be freer. They will feel more safe. They will experiment more. They will innovate more. Um, it builds a more productive team member. Um, now there's a, a component of that. Um, I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. That I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about. So there's also a component of trust that I think is, is sort of layered on when somebody's working from home um, because there has to be a, an extra layer or level of trust. So you're a leader, you're dealing with a, a relatively large marketing team. You said 90, 90 individuals. How do, you, how do you trust them to get their work done? What, what's your process for feeling comfortable and making sure that they know that you trust them? You know, to me, I love that question because I do think the job of a leader is to leave space for people to do their work 
to do their best work, right? And you're only going to do that if you trust them. Um, what's interesting is we here's the second squishy topic we're talking about, right? Which is yeah. trust, or happiness, and no trust, and and. We actually built a trust model on our team as well. Um, and that was, again, another crowdsource model. I'm really big on if I'm going to ask the team to do something. Get them um, to they build need it to, themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, and so we did build a trust model, right, where we said, okay, um, and this was this goes back some time. This goes back to my first stint at points, and it's actually it's actually uh, survived and survived while I was gone, where where. It was actually a recipe for solving a problem where the team was a bit broken. And when I went in to try to figure it out, it was because they didn't trust each other. And you had people double checking other people's work, people like going into areas that weren't their own because they weren't trusting the people on their team. And when we finally got down to it and said, okay, what would it take for you to, um, to trust the people that you worked with? Again, crowdsource, we got four things. We got if you could create transparency, pin, sorry, create transparency, um, practice accountability, deliver results, and have honest talks with people. So if you're pissed off at me, don't go tell your buddy, come and tell mm -hmm. me. Um, if we could all exhibit those four behaviors, then we would all be able to trust each other. And what we actually did in order to reinforce that is, oh my God, my team hated me when we put this together, but it's actually survived, was um, we would actually on a monthly basis, the team was a lot smaller, so it was easier to do, is we would give each other awards. Um, so we would have our update meetings and then I would say, hey, this month I'm gonna give Scott the award for, um, for honest talk because I screwed up and he actually confronted me on it and I totally didn't see it from his perspective and that took balls and so here you go, I'm giving you the award for honest talk. And and I also forced the team to give themselves an award. So then I could say, and I created transparency because something broke here and I let everybody know and this is what I did. And so it was this, it was this exhibiting that trusting behavior too, where you could have an open, honest forum and people could have those conversations to say, hey, this is broken. I didn't get this from you. And um, building that trust, I think having that foundational language again, uh, made it easier for us to be working from home and say, okay, I'm not, I don't actually understand what's going on over here. I don't feel like I'm having transparency in your part of the business. We need to figure out how to communicate better. Or I'm, you're late on this for two days and I don't know where it is. So let's just talk about the accountability here, right? I like it a lot. I, and I have a, a question because I'm sure you dealt with this. What do you do when you bring in these models and you're, you are getting team buying, you're getting like everybody's buying because they're literally building the things that they think will work best for them. And then you're, you're, you know, that's what you're going to go with for both like happiness and trust. But there's going to be people that are going to say, this is stupid. This is retarded. I don't understand why I have to give somebody an award. Like, yep. uh, this is like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, why am I giving myself an award? How do you get those people to buy in? Or is that something that every organization struggles with? You can't, you can't do anything about that. No, look, I think, um, I think, I think people are wired differently. Right. And I am, mm -hmm. uh, I do realize that I default to this, like, right. I'm a very like, let's talk about our feelings. Let's figure out what's yeah. going on, which makes people makes makes certain people uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Um, so. So I always say to my team, can you just try it? 
can you, I know you hate it. And I know how painful this is for you. I just need you to try it. And I think understanding that I, they, they have to do it. Look, you don't get to opt out of this thing. I'm actually going to make you do it. Um, and then if it's not working, I think it's having check-ins, right? Give me three months. Then let's talk again in three months and tell me why it's not working for you. You don't just get to say, Hey, I hate this. Mm -hmm. Tell me something that would work better. Or if it's not right, like you, 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 I think there is, we as leaders have to give people responsibility for their own careers and their own career development. And it is not just, let me give you the map. Right. It is. I'm going to teach you how to work through this if the map isn't working for you. So if you want more transparency, if you want more responsibility, then you have to show me what you're going to do about it. It's not just up to me to build that map, to draw that map for you. I like that a lot. I see. So the people that do have an opinion about it. Okay, that's fine. But yeah. you have to you have to come up with something because there's a there's a there's a clear gap here. That, yeah. that's causing the business to suffer in this area or the other. So if if you don't think this way is going to solve that problem, you think it's stupid, think of something that will solve this problem and let's talk about it. Yeah, and, find me something that will work better. Get together with yeah. some of your colleagues and build something else. I yeah. would love that, right? Yeah, totally. it would take a lot of stress <laughs> off you. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's very, okay. So this, you know what, what I'm seeing here, what we're getting is a masterclass in building a culture in probably one of the industries, you know, your travel adjacent, that is probably one of the hardest hit. And um, there's one more point that I want to I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about process and process, you know, especially in a work from home environment, and how that's important. But I want to also get some data points from you on when you build out this, this squishy happiness model, this trust model, and then um, we can go into process as well. What does that what does that look like in terms of actual results? How has your how has points performed? How has you know, how, it could be, I don't know what metric you want to you want to relay over if you have any off the top of your head, and I'm sort of coming at you. Uh, you know, I didn't ask you to prep for this. But I think it would be interesting to take this away and like actually see what it what the what the end result is like in, in some way or another. Yeah, look, it's it. Results are interesting, right? I think I yeah. think um, if I look at last year, where we went into last year with a plan um, that obviously we didn't achieve, right? We thought people would be flying. We thought people would be. We said it in no, the November of the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we recast our plan, uh, we achieved our recasted plan, right? Which to me is huge. Um, but we're. We, what that what that meant for us was things came from different places, right? So I'm talking. So from my marketing team, and I, uh, I won't share the breakdown, but my marketing team yeah. was previously in the work that we had to do responsible for way less of a percentage of the overall revenue of the company. By the time the end of the year came, I would say. Uh, the absolute lion's share of the company's revenue was directly related to marketing promotions. And so what you have is a situation whereby you have a team that is now disproportionately responsible for the whole company's revenue. And imagine the stress and the pressure on that to, to, to not be able to fail, right? Mm-hmm. In a culture yeah. that I'm building that says, you can fail, you can try things, it's okay. And then you're just like, oh shit, 
but if we don't yeah. hit this, we don't hit the number. Like terrifying, right? So then if I then go back to say, how did we handle the pressure? How did we not crack? How did we hit our reforecast? That's how we did it because we were taking care of the squishy stuff and we were making sure that people understood their direction so that they felt heard and they felt taken care of and they could power forward and get their jobs done. That's very impressive. It was very impressive what you've done. And uh, just out of curiosity, was the, you know, sort of doubling down on the trust and, and building out this happiness model, was that was that done purposefully to uh, combat like the, 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 you know, shifting of percentage of total revenue targets towards a marketing team? Or was that just something that was a happy coincidence? Um, the trust model, I would say, is it was older. I think that was just that's just a way we worked. The happiness mm -hmm. model was something that we did develop during COVID, and something that something that uh, that I knew I had to have in place as the responsibilities of the team would be shifting, and we needed to have a way to have conversations about where things weren't working. Um, it, you know, it's a difficult business to learn. And so um, I would say that the ramp up of someone being effective because it's such an odd, odd business is six to eight months. And so I could not afford to lose anybody. Um, and we actually last year had uh, the lowest turnover in our history. Well, that's, so, that's, a, that's a KPI right there. That's pretty, yeah. pretty damn impressive. So <laughs> yeah. very good. Uh, yeah, seriously, very, very impressive. Okay. Last point, um, process. So how does process fit into all of this? So, you know, at points, I think we, I think we do a pretty good job on process. Um, I think we, we might err on over process in some cases, right? Because we're at that like small to mid-sized uh, company size. And sometimes I think the, the, the traps that you can fall in when you're that size and, and you have people spread all over the world is that you, you can sometimes tend to overcomplicate things. The previous experience tells me, um, look, having gone in and built marketing teams from scratch is that the scariest thing that you can say to someone at a startup is, okay, great. Now we're going to put all this process in place and it's going to make things better. I swear. <laughs> and, and you get people looking at you going, you were going to slow me down. This yeah. is nuts. I don't know why you're doing this. You're just trying to turn me bureaucratic and then I don't have freedom. And that's the reason that I went to a startup in the first place. And I wanted to play and experiment and build fun things. And you're going to make it impossible for me to do that. Um, and I remember uh, one of the ways in kind of having to think through this is um, in my storied past, one of the things I did as a, as a kid was I, I was a ballet dancer. And, um, and the interesting thing, uh, for those of you who might not know about ballet, is basically the fundamentals that <laughs> you've got. You haven't <laughs> taken a few classes. No, uh, improv, yes, ballet, no. no um, and so is... There are basically five positions of your feet and five positions of your arms. And all of the beautiful movement that you see are based on these five feet positions and these five arm positions. And when you, if you've seen a beautiful ballet dancer, it is, it is beautiful what they do and they look free and they look like they can fly. But my process tie in here is their processes there are five things their feet can do and there are five things their arms can do. And it's that having that form 
allows you to have freedom because you have this box and this framework that you can work in. So if I take that back to process, if you look at an environment that is just like, hey, I have this idea. Why don't we do this? If we built it this way for this for this one thing and then this way for this one thing, it turns into chaos and you actually get paranoid you get paralyzed because you don't know what you're prioritizing. You don't know what's important. And that, so, so when you think through process and, and process is actually a freeing thing, right? And I think having process, but not over process becomes important. Now, when I build process, I would say build to over process and then peel back. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it is just so important or you get lost because you don't understand the rules. And I guess my question would be, so that makes a lot of sense. I like that analogy a lot. Now, when everybody shifts into a work from home environment, how do you, in an agile way, when you already have a process in place, how do you update that so that it accommodates for a work from home environment? So you're not, people aren't lost, confused, um, but you're not sort of halting the progress of the business while still migrating people to work from home quickly and efficiently. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Your process has to change, right? And I think one of the one of the biggest struggles that we have in business, pandemic or not, is um, we often have blind spots in. Uh, well, this is the way we've been doing it before, right? This is this is the way we've always done it. And the wonderful thing about this pandemic, if I can say anything wonderful about it, from transfer from looking at transformational opportunities for business has been we have been forced to look at process and say this isn't going to work anymore we can't have the same meetings we can't all be in the same place let's just let's be freer about being able to change those things and this is speaking to that transformation it's i'll give you a little bit of an example so pre-pandemic um on my uh delivery team we had been, uh, we just got approved to add 15 bodies onto that team. And then the week later, it was like lockdown and we're also freezing all hiring. And, um, but go ahead and do the work you were supposed to do anyway. And we're like, shit, we're 15 <laughs> people short. Like, how the hell are we going to do this? This is not actually possible and would not make anyone happy. Right. So what we did, what it allowed what it allowed me to do is there is no way in a normal circumstance that I would have looked at my marketing team and my operations team and said, okay, where do we need the work done? Who is working on lower value work? And how am I then going to reshuffle these people? I need 15 people on this team. I, and I was doing things like I had marketers who were like, yeah, maybe I could be a project manager. Okay. I'm going to move them over to the delivery team. I had, um, I had customer support people who were like, eh, I can code a little bit. Okay, let's get them a little bit of training. Let's move them over and be web devs. Like it was this kind of stuff that would that would happen where previously it would just be like, let's have an HR conversation. Are we allowed to talk to this person about this? Blah, 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 blah. And what we were able to do is say, no, this is where the work needs to happen. And it allowed us to prioritize that high value work in a way that if it wasn't a pandemic, I never would have asked people to do this. I would have just gone in and asked for 15 more bodies. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something really freeing about the fact that everything is different. And so I was able to say our approach can now be different. Right. And 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 how we prioritize can be different. And that's one of those things that I've been talking to my leadership team about to say, how do we preserve that as things get back to normal? 
How was that? How was that received by the by the people on your team when you started making shifts like that? You know what? It was again. It's not anything that I'm just going to be like, "Sorry, you've been traded. Pack your bags no, 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 and move over to the yeah, team." Right, but but um, but it was like there. We had. Uh, I'm I'm so lucky. I have such a great team. Um, it was here's the need. Here's the need for the business. We think you'd be good at this. Do you have any interest? At the very least, it's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And every single person was like, "Whatever I need to do, just just tell me what I need to do." And That's interestingly. Right. And interestingly, culture, yeah. some people have actually stuck in those jobs. Like they're like, I don't want to go back. I like this better. Okay. Awesome. Like it opened up this whole new opportunity for them. That's really good. And I think that's a testament to everything else you've been doing because um, when people are, are willing to do that for, you know, the circumstances are circumstances, stuff happens, you know, shit happens. And if somebody's willing to do that, that shows you like what kind of team you have and, and how bought in they are to the company which is really what you want anyways. You want everybody to win. And if they feel like they're winning, they feel like they're aligned, they feel like, you know, they understand where the company's going, they want to back that in any way possible. I think that's a win for, yeah. for them and for you and for the company, for everybody. It's very, very impressive. Um, I, uh, so to close these, uh, these interviews out, I like to do like some rapid fire stuff just about you and your career um, for people to learn quickly, just some quick questions. But before I go into that, was there anything else on, on points on things that you've learned over the pandemic, things that you're doing uh, with your team now or, or in the past that you wanted to touch on? No, I mean, I feel like I gave you an earful right there. <laughs> no, in a good way, in a really, really, really good way. There's some really good lessons. There's seriously, some very good lessons on, on leadership, on pandemic leadership, on, like I said, like this is a class in how to, how to best practices for managing a team, for leading a team, for navigating pandemic, um, for just really just best practices and, and doing business. And it's from, you know, your CMO at an organization that's, again, travel adjacent. So if you can make this work, there's literally no reason. Right. <laughs> like, I don't mean to be rude or to be insensitive, <laughs> but there's no reason why other leaders in other organizations that weren't as heavily impacted as travel cannot do better and make their organization work as well, similar to what you're doing. That's really, that's my takeaway. In all seriousness, that's really my takeaway. I think that you're doing an incredible job. Seriously. Thank you. Um, it's been very, fun. Very it's impressive. been uh, it's been it's actually it's been it's been an awesome challenge. Uh so yeah, I've been uh yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for uh, for sure. Okay. Um a couple of rapid fire questions to close out. Um what was the biggest challenge that you've had in your career and how did you overcome it? Uh we touched on it a little bit before it was, um, it was a personal challenge. It was not having a degree and, mm-hmm. uh, feeling stuck. Right. And just feeling like how on earth am I going to move forward? And did I paint myself into a corner because I just didn't want to be in school and that overcoming was just, uh, was just persevering. And it was really just about building relationships and trying things. Um, uh, but yeah, I'll never forget that crushing feeling of, oh my God, I did this wrong. Do I, ha- do I have to start over in some way? Mm-hmm. Um, what makes you feel inspired or makes you feel like your best self? Oh, you know, um, I'm going to go back to my team. It is, uh, 
It is such a, an honor and a pleasure to get to work with the people that I work with every day and just seeing them take chances and innovate and just try stuff and be fearless just makes me go like I am cheering and I'm like, yes, just do it. And it is, it is just awesome to just look around and just be inspired uh, by the people who I get to work with every day. Very good. If you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Oh God, stop worrying so much if you're on the right track. Like there are a thousand different ways to get to where you're going. Um, be purposeful about your steps um, and don't feel like you have to fit a mold, right? And, um, oh, and never think what's my next move. Always think what's the move after the next move and plan how you're gonna get there. Okay, I like that. Say that one more time. Never, never think what's my next move. Always think what's the move after that move and plan it. So you're two steps ahead. Yeah, that's very good. Um, what's your favorite? It could be a person, uh, it could be a book, a podcast, some resource that you love that you would recommend other people go and check out. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe unconventional, I would say, read as much fiction as humanly possible. Um, I don't read business books. I barely read nonfiction, but there is something so powerful about fiction, about helping you understand the human condition and helping you understand how people process things. It puts you in a different world. And I think, don't get me wrong, I binge TV and like, like everybody else, but it's just the immersive experience of fiction and having to process how someone else is processing a story um, is one of the most powerful things that you can do for yourself. That's a good answer. It's a very good answer. Um, and then the most important question, where do people, first of all, go check out points and then go connect with you um, and go, you know, if they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, they can just find me on LinkedIn. Danielle Brown is pretty uh, is a pretty common name, but Danielle Brown points is easy to find. <laughs>I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. 
Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.